0: Hello, and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today, I'm joined by guest John Warlow. John's an entrepreneur, author, and speaker with over 20 years of research experience into the small and medium business market. He's the author of the best-selling book, Built to Sell, which I loved, the host of uh, Forbes' top 10 podcast Built to Sell Radio, and has been recognized by B2B Marketing as one of the top 10 business to business marketers in the United States. John, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, for folks who are encountering you, maybe for the first time, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the last 20 years, as you mentioned, in the bio, I have been working either studying entrepreneurs or, be, or, or being an entrepreneur. <laughs> I've started four companies. Um, last one was was sold to a public company in 2009. Um And now I run a company called Value Builder, where we work with entrepreneurs and um, self-employed individuals to help them improve the value of their company, usually leading up to an exit, although not always. Excellent. So a lot of folks listening here probably can't
0: even imagine selling their business because they are so bound to it. So, I'd like to kind of start off by opening their minds a little bit about some reasons why maybe someone who's not even thinking about selling their business might find themselves in a, find themselves in a situation where that would be an attractive option.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I was just looking at some research recently into why business owners consider selling. And the two reasons that they uh, are triggered to want to sell are, number one, they receive an inbound, unsolicited offer to buy their business, and number two, uh, a, a health scare, some sort of health event like a heart attack or whatever that makes them consider selling. And it's funny when I think about those two factors, both of them are are out of the control of the owner, right? So they're not things that owners necessarily think about. And as a result, they get caught on their back foot when it comes time to sell. And so uh, the recipe for getting a bad sort of price for your business is being in the, in, in the wrong, uh, sort of, uh, stance, if you will. And so for that reason, I think it makes sense to proactively think about it. Um, a lot of people say, yeah, but I like, I'm a freelancer, you know, I, 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 you know, I have no interest in, in, in selling. Um, that's fine. As long as you go into self-employment knowing that there is no kind of pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. What I see a lot, Jonathan, I, I don't know if you see this at all, but I see a lot of guys start companies and you know, they're, uh, they think they're starting a company but they're really just they've got a job. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and they defer all the economic benefits of, of owning a business. In other words, they don't pay themselves. They don't take enough money out of the company because they say, Oh, well, you know, I'll make my money when I when I sell and or I'll make my money in the future. And if they're not structuring it correctly, there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So, um, so my advice, if you're a self-employed person and you have no interest in selling, fair enough, but make sure you're paying yourself handsomely for the risk you're taking on because you don't have benefits. Obviously, you know, uh, cyclicality happens and, and you can be out of, you know, on the bench for months. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, for those that do want to create a more, you know, sellable company, there's a kind of recipe, there's a formula, That's that's kind of what we do. Great. So uh,
0: let me just... I totally agree with that, and I, I see... Uh, the problem I see, especially with folks who are billing by the hour, is they see their revenue as their money, and they don't subtract their time as a cost from it. So they're actually operating hmm. on razor-thin margins, and they're not actually making any money. They're just getting by.
1: That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. I think what... Is it like the average person works a couple thousand hours a year is that about roughly yeah, what you've heard people I've I've
0: run questionnaires and surveys and generally folks who are listening uh, are billable 30 hours a week they'll work 40 or more hours a week but they're billable about 30 and on average they charge a hundred dollars an hour so you end up with a pretty pretty you know non you know a hundred and roughly a hundred fifty thousand dollars a year revenue which is nothing to sneeze at but that's not you know, it, that's like gross. So right. you end up, I mean, if you take out all the taxes, you take out all the insurance, and then you imagine paying someone to do the actual work, like a subcontractor, how much would you be left with? Probably nothing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you essentially have no profit. And that's why, that's why, I built to sell. Uh, I mean, I'm going to die. My plan is to die with my boots on. Maybe someone will offer me money for my business. Maybe someone, maybe I'll have a health scare. I guess eventually we all do, but <laughs> the, the thing about built to sell that really clicked with me was that a lot of the things that, that are valued by buyers are the kinds of things that I recommend people do anyway to create some profits for themselves, cool. wh- whether or not they want to sell.
1: Yeah, I think that's great.
0: So the story of built to sells centers around a, a fictional character, I think his name was Alex Stapleton. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. And yeah. he's
0: like a design agency owner who is a generalist and one of the very first things you know and he meets with a mentor uh, named ted i think who gives him advice throughout the book it's sort of a sort of a fable in a way
1: it's yes, a little bit like the e-myth if you've ever read the e-myth it yes often gets compared to that
0: another which fabulous is book. very
1: which is flattering because it's like the world's best book on entrepreneurship right. right.
0: so one of the, the first tip is to specialize, stop being a generalist firm and start to specialize. And you recommend over the course of, I think, a number of chapters, what has come to be referred to as productized services, which I don't know, if, I don't think you refer to it that way in the book, but that's come to be the way that I hear it described, where you've got a very repeatable process that is sold like a product. Even though the delivery is very um, high touch, if you will, it's a it's not a <laughs> lamp, it's um, a logo or something like that.
1: Yeah, I might draw the distinction, Jonathan, between specialized and product eyes because I, I think those are s- similar but slightly different. I think specializing is figuring out what you do better than anybody else. So if you're a you know if you're an SEO, guru right and and you've got a specialty in doing bing seo (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) you've got it you've got everybody else is doing google seo and and you've really cracked the the black box on bing okay (laughs) okay so so that's specialization right Mm, um that's different than productization i think productization is when you you to your point you merchandise what you do and you sell it as though it were a product Mm. you say you know we've got Uh, three packages. Uh, We specialize in having you ranked first in the Bing search engine. So, uh, you know, uh, option one is our, you know, X package or gold package, silver package, or whatever bronze package. But I think they are different. I think the first step is to specialize, figure out what you're better at than anybody else in the world. And you know, th- there's, there's, uh, there's the old expression. You've heard it before. I'm sure a million times, uh, cater to the masses, live with the classes, cater to the classes, live with the masses. I actually, I actually think that's wrong. I think you, what you want to do is actually focus on a very small niche and, and, and really become dominant in that space. Um, become the best at that that little area of the universe Um, and that's when you can train other people to kind of follow your lead
0: yeah fabulous distinction I totally agree you're right I was conflating those two things so what's the difference between growing value and growing revenue
1: Yeah. I mean, they're often confused. Oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we think our report card is our profit and loss statement. In particular, some people chase revenue. They subscribe. Others chase kind of profit. You've heard this expression, revenue is vanity, profit is sanity. You know, the (laughs) revenue guys, you know, love to say, oh, my business is $5 million this year. I'm going to do $26 million this year. I'm going to do a million dollars in revenue. Um, that's, a, a lot of folks kind of puff out their chest and, 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 and sort of use that as their calling card. Other people sort of don't care what the top line is. They care what the bottom line is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, neither actually are the value of your company. Um, the value of your company is, those are inputs into the value of your company, but the value of your company has lots of other dynamics to it. There are lots of other variables that drive the value of your company. And so in many cases, what will drive the top line of your revenue actually will decrease your uh value. So for example, I'll give you a s- silly example, but um, uh, you know, you could go out there. Um, there's a woman named Stephanie Breedlove who built a company called Breedlove and Associates, which did payroll for nannies. So if you <laughs> hired a nanny and and you wanted to pay that nanny legitimately above the board, you could hire Breedlove and Associates to, to do that payroll for you. So, she had a very tiny, peculiar niche in the world. And the tempting thing to do, if the only thing she wanted to do was grow revenue, would have been to cross-sell her first initial customers additional services. So, right? So, what do parents need? They need babysitting. They need home care. They need uh, you know uh, cleaning service. They need all kinds of stuff, right? And so, what could have It is other stuff to her existing customers, which would have made her revenue grow very dramatically. It would also have decreased the value of her company because here's the thing. When buyers look at your company, they're buying something that would be difficult to build or replace. Right? And if you're just a hodgepodge of a bunch of undifferentiated services, sure, you might have revenue, but they could easily go after that revenue. An acquirer could easily go after that revenue without buying your business. In the case of Breedlove, to finish the story, she was acquired. Um, the, the company that ultimately went on to acquire was a company called Care.com, which is the Angie's List of care providers, plug in your zip code and it'll give you a list of kind of pre-qualified people to do home, health, home care for your child or elder, elder care people. So they had seven million subscribers at the time of the acquisition of acquiring Breedlove. And so they argued, well, if, if we just sell Breedlove's payroll services to 1% of our seven million, um, that's like 70,000 customers, right? At the hmm. time of the acquisition, Breedlove had just 10,000 customers. So that it would sevenfold increase her company overnight. The key is that Breedlove stu- stuck to her knitting. She would never have been an interesting acquisition candidate had she gone into doing all the other services. Because Care, if you put yourself in their shoes, they would have looked at it and go, why do I want to buy some, some business that does, you know, some snow removal services, some health care, some home care? Like, there's nothing there I can buy. I want purity, right? I want something where... They do one thing that is very difficult to replicate that I can acquire discreetly and and plug it into my business. Um, That's when people pay strategic multiples for a company, not if they're just a bunch of ancillary services. Hmm. Um, You know, to go back to our fictitious example of the guy, the SEO guy who focuses on Bing, um, you know. Th- that's a very unique niche in the world and there is a company out there that wants Bing uh, talent and they might hi- build buy that company for its its employees because they want some uh, kind of Bing resources on their staff as, as peculiar as that may seem. So again, right. specialization.
0: right so yeah from a, from an acquisition standpoint, it would plug in nicely into a larger entity perhaps mm. if it's a, like a clean focused uh, you know definable business.
1: Yes, yeah, like it's like when you buy cable and you get 150 channels you're never going to use. Nobody wants to buy that cable plan, right? Mm-hmm. Similarly, mm-hmm. no one wants to buy a company where they want one thing but they've got to pay for six other business units they're never going to use.
0: Mm. Okay. So, let's let's turn it to the question of <clears throat> what would someone do to prepare if they wanted to sell? And and you know, how much time do they need to think ahead? you know how far ahead do they need to think to to be thinking about that
1: yeah i mean the longer the better i think there's there's two distinctions there's there's how how long does it take to sell your company is one question then how long does it take to prepare your company to sell uh, and that's the second question is a little bit like how long is a piece of string right. it, you know the longer you take to prepare it the more sellable, it will ultimately be the for, first question. How long does it take to sell a business? It, you know, I think you should budget a year. Like once you've got your business, you know, basically ready to sell, I think between marketing it properly and negotiating it effectively, it's probably a one year thing. Um, but you can take decades to get your business sort of ready to sell, um, making it more valuable, less dependent on you. And, and again, I go back to something you talked about earlier, which was that the the very same things that make your business sellable, valuable are also the things that will make your business way more fun to run forever, which is the irony. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you think about, building a valuable company, the acid test and what it all comes down to is can the business succeed without you? And if the answer to that question is yes, not only do you have a sellable company, but you also have a really fun company to run, right? It's one, someone told me, someone said, I want a, I want a sailboat business. I'm like, what are you talking about? You want a sailboat business? He's like, I want a business where I can sit on a sailboat and cash checks. (laughs) I'm like, okay, got it. Uh, that's, the ultimate in in poker hand, right? Like if you've got a business that can thrive without you, you can continue to run it forever and just dip your toes into stuff that you enjoy doing. The strategic projects, perhaps the sales and marketing, depending on kind of your 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 uh, your orientation.
0: And that's the subtitle of the book,
1: you know, creating a
0: business that can thrive without you. It's a lot of people listening who are the sort of hands-on developers and copywriters and photographers and illustrators what can you say to them to start to, to maybe broaden their thinking of, you know, from craftsperson to business owner? Mm-hmm. And like, what are some of the, what is, if there are some steps that they can consider doing to maybe hire their first employee to do what they used to do and then become the business owner instead of being the, the pair of hands?
1: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. If if all you do is hire an employee and you say, uh, you know, I need I I want to make this business less dependent on me, so I'm going to hire an employee. An employee is going to generally disappoint you because they're going to f- they're going to have real tough they're going to have a real tough time following y- the y- what you're doing. They're not going to have the same level of industry expertise that you have. They're not going to have the same tenure that you have. As a result, they're just going to disappoint you. Um it, it's almost a cliche to to talk to entrepreneurs about their employees and say you know, how disappointing they are in some cases. Here's the thing. What the reason the the employees, unlike you as a self-employed individual, employees are going to thrive on repetition, right? They're going to thrive on mastering what it is that they do. The more they feel like they've nailed it and they're confident in what they do, the better employees they are. What that means though is that you've got to stop doing a lot of stuff. You've got to, you've got to stop accepting a broad suite of products and services that you offer today um, and start to really do one or two things better than anybody else. Once you do that, I'm confident you'll be able to hire employees. Because again, if if you've got the best formula for optimizing for Bing, you can, you can hire employees and teach them that if you've got a general digital marketing agency and you do a little bit of SEO, a little bit of SEM, a little bit of web design, a little bit of e-commerce, unfortunately it's very difficult to hire employees to, to, to do that, uh, to follow you, to train them. So every, every new service that you add grows their complexity of their job exponentially it doesn't grow linearly it grows exponentially and so you know the less you do the more you specialize it the better and the the, the better the odds are you're going to be able to hire somebody and once you can hire people to work for you to do the work uh, that really is the biggest prerequisite. It's the biggest first, most difficult step to take to get the business to, to, uh, to succeed without you. It's the toughest part. I call it TVR finding something in your company, uh, which meets the, the trifecta trifective scale, which is TVR, which is, it's got to be teachable to employees, a service that's valuable to customers and a service that's repeatable
0: so yeah so a lot of people are listening to this and saying well it's different every time like every customer has a different need or i have to handle it in a different way or they're they're super blinded or overwhelmed by the the differences the idiosyncrasies of each different client relationship and each different client need you know and i could get on my soapbox about that. But I'm curious what you think about that. Like what is this, what to someone who is thinking like, I could never come up with any possible repeatable thing in my business. What would you say to that person?
1: Take five minutes. And instead of taking all of your creative resources and giving them to your client for free or undervaluing them, place the same degree of, of emphasis and intellectual capital into your own company and actually sit there and get a whiteboard out or spend a half day at Starbucks and really think about what it is that you do better than anybody else and and start to, to actually plot out a service on that. I find a lot of service providers, and I, w- I would add the creative service providers, so uh, advertising agencies, copywriters, uh, you know, um, graphic designers, photographers, digital producers, internet – they're, many of them are very creative people, but they get their jollies from solving client problems. And and that just gets you on a paycheck, a, like, a roller, or like a hamster wheel to nowhere. Mm-hmm. You're spending all of that intellectual capital and giving it to your clients or maybe charging a couple hundred dollars an hour for that intellectual capital. Instead, say, okay, well, what if I actually thought of my own self, my own business as the client? And I've got to come up with, instead of offering a custom solution every time someone wants a new software developed. Say, what am I really good at? Um, and moving from a service business to a product business. I mean, it's the, you can you can rip off the Band-Aid and go, ho- like, go all out. So Jason Freed, for example, guy who wrote Rework, and sure. a couple of other books, got Basecamp. He used to have a web development company, did big $50,000 jobs for like Wrigley and Ford, building them websites. Mm-hmm. And he said, I hate, being beholden to clients. I hate that feeling of always always being at their beck and call. So he created Basecamp, the project management software. Now they ran those products simultaneously until he had enough revenue coming from basecamp that he could stop doing the internet uh, the uh, the website design jobs so that's that's a big departure that's like going from a service company to a product company that's like going from selling bananas to selling watermelon like it's a different company right that's a that's a that's going to be perhaps too strong for a lot of listeners to sort of take on or think about it's maybe it's too it's too dramatic. The, the middle ground is to productize your service and say, okay, w- you know, I'm going to go from offering all these different services today to doing one thing better than anybody else. Maybe you're a copywriter and you do long form copy, copy, you know, bios, you do PowerPoint presentations, you do a bunch of stuff. But what you really love doing and where you're really differentiated is, um, uh, yeah, w- w- whatever uh political
0: speech writing
1: political speech writing <laughs> become the world's political have product eyes that once you get good at and specialize in doing political speech writing you can start to hire employees to support you in the various different things that political speech writers do research etc um and fact then you can check <laughs> wouldn't that be <laughs> Sorry, great i had to make a joke um but, <laughs> but you see you you have to pick one. You have to right. think what what, and that's that's strong cheese for a lot of people. But yes. it's 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 a lot of people say yeah, but I couldn't do that because I'll get bored. Uh, well, I get bored. I I don't want to become the McDonald's of mm-hmm. fill the blank photography. Right. Um, I don't want to. I I couldn't handle the cash flow hit. Right, I've got to take on all that project work. Mm-hmm. So, the boredom thing, great. Uh, don't, if you like the variety of client work and you like that dynamic solving client problems, always having something different to do fine, but don't kid yourself that you're an entrepreneur you're not, you're, you've got a job, you're self-employed and you'll never sell your company. That's fine. And you'll never build something that beyond the hours in the day. Totally fine. I don't mean to sound disparaging in saying that, but it's, it's, it's don't fool yourself to think you're actually building something because you're not. And so don't invest in things that you There's no, you don't need a business card. You don't need a website. You don't need an office location because none of that stuff matters. People are buying you, right? right? So if, if creative exercising Feeling like you're a solution pl- provider, if, if you want to, if the, it's the creativity and the desire for that, if you don't want to become the McDonald's of uh, web development, the McDonald's of, of software design, fair enough. But again, don't kid yourself to think you're building something of any value. You're not. The only, the only, I think really justifiable answer to that question is why I don't specialize is well, well, what about cash flow? Because right now, I don't have the luxury of specialization. yeah, I can't and say for, no
0: to this client right, work that's right. I,
1: I need that client work. I can't be so, you know um, egotistical to think they're gonna buy my my service or product. Um, you know, the way Jason freak did it is he is he ran them in parallel. He ran the custom you know, projects, uh, you know, and worked at night on his Basecamp software. Right. Uh, I think that's a legitimate way to go about it. Another way we used to do it. I you know, we used to run a quantitative market research company, custom stuff, et cetera. We made the switch to, to, to productize. Uh, the way we did it is we charged up front. Um, and if you think about it, you're actually socialized to buy products up front where you buy services after they're rendered. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a key point because like, if you think about it, you, bu- you subscribe to a magazine, right? Do you wait until you've read every issue and then send your check? no, you you subscribe, you send in your check on those little stupid forms, and <laughs> then you get the next twelve issues of of the magazine, right? You pay in advance. if you If you want to buy a washing machine, um, you go down to the department store and you buy a washing machine, and then you start using it. If you want to buy a service, like window cleaning as an example or like web design or you know custom software development oftentimes you buy it after the service is rendered um, and again that's one of the true benefits of picking one thing and productizing it is because you can start charging all or a big chunk of it up front so you can say look we're the world's experts at s bing s, uh, search engine optimization and we have the 100 day bing bulletproof offering now it's a forty thousand dollar investment which we charge up front but we will through our hundred day process at the end of it get you number one ranked in bing uh in three categories of your choice Mm -hmm. yeah okay so I've got a thing. I productize it. I specialize it. Now I'm getting a 40 grand up front to do the work over the next 100 days. Right. It's different than saying I'm an SEO guy and I'll send you my invoice at the end of 30 days and you can pay it in 60. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 90 day negative cash flow cycle.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Negative cash flow cycle. That's critical to point out. And another thing that's critical to point out because listeners know that I actually have a key asking for 100% up front even for custom projects. Everybody who's tried that knows that it's really hard because you're going against the expectation. So, uh, you, you can still do it, but it's a lot easier if you present the thing as a product, like John's saying, and then there's a lot less, there's no negotiation. It's not a surprise. It's not weird. You're not, um, well, you're the only person of all these quotes that we got from people. You're the only one who's asking for a hundred percent upfront. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's less, it, it, um, it's easier, frankly,
1: the more you productize it, the more it can be it will be purchased like a thing. so for example, if you've got a, a service, the 100 day Bing whatever yeah um, you name it right you trademark the name it always appears exactly the same way. you create an icon uh, so that it, it, it's a thing. There's a PDF, one pager that you send to a customer. It looks physical, it's tangible, it's real. Mm-hmm. If you actually physically get together with your customers, uh, laminate it so that it feels unchangeable. So if you just print out a one pager in color, everybody knows you can change, you know, st- st- but if you laminate it, there's something psychological about that lamination <laughs> effect that when you show it to somebody, it, it feels tangible, real, unchangeable. So look, if it says forty grand on the laminated one pager, and you're in front of a client, and you say, "Yeah, here it is. It's on this one pager. It's laminated. Here's here's the price point." People take it that that's a more firm offering mm-hmm. than, "Yeah, we charge two hundred fifty dollars an hour, and uh, we'll get you on ranked on on Bing."
0: Yeah, it projects uh, confidence, and, and and it implies uh, success. It implies that it right. works.
1: People want to work with people who have a system, right? Yeah. Everybody thinks, "Oh, well, you know." Clients are going to reject the idea that I'm I'm McDonald'sizing or packaging a service. They they want a custom solution. No, clients want things done well. They want to know that you have a specialty, that you have a process, that you are going to deliver it well. That's what they want to know. And that gives them tremendous confidence. So if you've got the 10-step, you know, whatever, uh, uh, PowerPoint presentation formula when they've got a PowerPoint presentation to build, they're going to come to you because they know you specialize it. They know you've got a formula. If you just say, yeah, I'm a graphic designer and I do the odd PowerPoint and I do lots of animation, I do videos, they're <laughs> going to go like, well, what do you do really well? Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So do one thing, productize it.
0: Yes. And, and let me call one thing out because you keep using McDonald's as the, as the pr- sort of example. But, yeah. you know, dear listener you don't have to be the McDonald's of graphic design. You could be the Starbucks of graphic design or the Nike of graphic design or like a brand that you actually, you know, perhaps I'm just assuming that, you know, maybe people take the McDonald's thing as a pejorative, Yeah. but like any product business, you name it, field notes, you look around your office. Like there are products that you buy from brands that you love and that you'd go to bat for and that you recommend to other people. You can be that too, but just for the thing that you deliver. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to imagine. It, it, it takes some work to step back and say, well, what's that thing? What is that thing that I'm like the world's best at? Or what is what is my unique gift? Uh, but, you know, if you don't look for it, then you're just, just doomed to this sort of generalist, you know, job without a boss type of situation.
1: You know, it's funny. I think it comes down to a lot of the time, Jonathan, discipline. I sound like a bloody drill sergeant, it's, <laughs> but, but it's like, do you have the discipline to do one thing? Do you have the discipline to look across the table from a client and say, no, we, we, we we're not going to do that project for you because we do this kind of project mm-hmm. and, and we do that really well. Do you have the discipline to, 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 to spend the time to create the laminated one page or the website or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or do you, because the opposite of undisciplined is undisciplined. The opposite of discipline is undisciplined. And, and what I see when I see undisciplined people is just people who are so needy of client love mm-hmm. that they just can't say no because they're so undisciplined. They just, when a client wants something, they just feel so wonderful to be needed. Yeah. It's, but it's so... Uh, pathetic, really, at the end of the day, because you're not building a company. You're just having your ego gratified because clients say, oh, you're wonderful. You do great work, and I love you, and I'd like to have you buy. It. Great. But again, if your goal is to build a business and not a job, you have to eliminate the need or or basically um, somehow overcome the need to be feel wanted and have your ego stroked right. and actually build something that's going to be much harder, frankly, to do. It's easy to, to do client work. It, it it's easy. It's very it's very difficult to be to to pick one thing and stand up for Yeah. yeah very it's difficult. hard.
0: Because you because it requires that you have self confidence, which is lacking in a lot of cases. So you need to be you know, that means having cash flow. Like you need to know that you've got your mortgage covered somehow. So so discipline comes in, whether it's saving for the future or saying no to red flag clients, you know, prospects who are displaying red flags, you just know it's probably going to turn into a disaster. So I'm going to say no and, and not losing that opportunity cost and getting to the point where like, wow, a perfect fit comes along and they recognize the value in what you do. They will benefit from the value of what you do and being able to, to have the, whether it's discipline or self-confidence or whatever you want to call it to say like, nope, not going to do it like that. Uh, here's how things are going to work. Clients actually, it sounds like clients wouldn't like that, but they actually almost always love it because that's, you know, if they're, if they think they're hiring an expert, if they're in the market to hire an expert at thing, they, they, they don't want to be in charge of the process. That's why they're hiring someone. <laughs> so be the expert in the situation and being the expert means I always use the doctor metaphor, you know, like, you're not If patient runs into the the room and says, "Oh I need a triple bypass the doctor doesn't say yeah take off your shirt I'll go get my knives like it doesn't work like that like right. the, or
1: how how do you want me to cut it and do you want me to cut it sideways right. or which,
0: which scalpel should I use which yeah, <laughs> yeah is that is this yeah. angle right you don't want that right <laughs> no. you want the doctor to be like hold your horses tell me where it hurts you know take a deep breath it you know that's you you're the doctor be the doctor in the situation but you know if you don't if you don't have um, if you haven't got the cash flow if you're if your confidence is suffering for some reason whether it's cash flow or o- other reasons I don't know I'm not a shrink but the you know it it's true but if you like you said like John said if you uh, don't fool yourself into thinking that what you're doing is creating more value because you're really it, whether or not you want to sell your business I'm I I couldn't sell my business. I'm a solo operator. Maybe I could go through this process. I'm sure I could go through this process. And at some point, like, actually, I know I could. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm talking myself into it. Um, and I'm sure you could too, dear listener, if that's where you wanted to start adding profits into your business, because most people listening don't don't operate on a profit basis. They're looking at revenue and they're like, Oh, you know, I did $150,000 this year. That's nothing to sneeze at. I couldn't make that in an in-house job. You know that a lot of times that's the comparison, but you know, that's gross revenue. If you take out all of the things and you imagine paying somebody to do the work that you did, you end up with zero. So, you know, which is why you can't say no to clients because you have no profit. You have to take every single job that comes in so anyway (laughs) kind of soapboxing here but if there's if there's one thing that um we could switch to as maybe a closing topic one of the pieces of advice in built to sell centers around whale clients and being very careful about having a whale client uh you know like one client who's responsible for the vast majority of your income does is that something you could speak to
1: yeah for sure i mean wheel clients really kind of pick up on everything we've talked about. They, they tend to overwhelm you. They tend, they tend to sort of say the way it's going to be done. Uh, oftentimes it comes very naturally, right? You do great work for a client and a client says, wow, this is a great little supplier we've got here. Um, you know we've been asking them to do you know custom software i wonder if they could do photography for us and you know if they they've been doing photography i wonder if they could do copywriting and and it's very natural to, when you've got when you found a supplier that you trust to want them to do more for you the problem is that they become you you, you start to do too many things and, and it gets you into the cycle where your business is just impossible to hire employees to do the work um, you're also become very beholden to to them and they they realize that after a while if you've got you know 40 50 60% of your revenue coming from one client they realize that they sort of have you over a barrel. Um, and so, yeah, I think one of the one of the real keys is to have customer diversification. From a selling perspective, if you ever want to sell your company, an acquirer is going to look at your business and say, if any more than 15, 15, 15% of your revenue comes from one client, well, that's going to be a concern for them. Um, but even you know, less so from a selling perspective, even just for peace of mind, if you're too dependent on a single customer it it can just get you into this rat hole of doing too many things uh for too few people
0: Mm. awesome all right well we're getting to the end of our time where can folks go to find out more about you online
1: uh, valuebuilder.com is the website. Um, so just uh, valuebuilder.com. There's a questionnaire there you can take that'll just give you a sense of how valuable your company is and some of the things that you might want to do to improve its value. Whether, you, again, you want to sell in in a year or 20 years or never, it, it will just point out how you're performing on the eight key drivers of company value. You'll get a score on each driver uh, and it's free. So just valuebuilder.com.
0: Excellent. And I'll put in a plug for built to sell. I, I read it in uh, 2014. And of all the business books that I've got on my shelves, it is one of the ones that has really stuck with me. It just, it's very visual. It's very, it's very easy to read. And man, I'm telling you these, when, when situations arise that are covered in the book, I just keep up oh, built to sell recommend it, to somebody client, uh, students having a situation, read built to sell check chapter seven. And it, it's really, really good. And it's a, it's a nice brief book, which I love
1: what's very kind of you to say. And, uh, we'll, uh, you know, I
0: appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me, John. And that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join us again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. If you'd like to learn more about how to ditch hourly billing, please go to valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that URL is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Thanks.